We're back in the room, still socially distanced, and you're listening to Sound Advice. So, PCN's primary care networks are coming to, I think, their second year of being, and uh, over that time we've all seen them grow enormously. Today's topic is going to be covering PCN year-end considerations. Um, I'm joined by medical partners Mark Skellum and Ben Powell. Hi Mark, hi Ben. Hi Steve. Hi Steve. Hi there, thanks for joining me. So you know, we've talked prior to this and you've been telling me all, all sorts of things about what people need to be thinking regarding um, the, the year-end considerations. Mark, do you want to sort of pick up from here? Yeah, sure. Cheers, Steve. Um, as you say, I mean, primary care networks came in sort of, um, sort of nearly two years ago now, and this is the sort of the, their second year end. And I think they've grown far more actually than than was anticipated. What with um, they're used to deliver the COVID vaccinations, particularly, um, and so they have grown. You know, they are significantly larger than than maybe they were expecting. Now those means that they are actually quite significant sized businesses in their own right. And PCN's primary care networks do have slightly unique features, which in many cases means they're not actually an entity in themselves anyway. They are um, more like a collective um, of GP practices operating almost like a partnership of partnerships, really. Um, There are one or two limited companies around and and, and actually that might be the way to think about things going forward, Um, particularly with the increased risk that these increased size of businesses bring with them. But the majority at the moment aren't formed in that way. And the biggest consideration really looking at, um, as we're recording this around the the end of March, is the majority of GP practices have a March year end. Not everyone, but the majority. Um, And of course, the NHS year end runs to March as well. So whilst the primary care network doesn't have an obligation in itself to file any accounts or prepare any accounts because it isn't an entity in its own right. Um, every GP practice, which is a member of that PCN, has an obligation to bring in their share of the surplus or liability that that PCN has made into their own accounts. And so it makes perfect sense in our mind that you you select a year end of the 31st of March for your PCN um, and prepare accounts up to that date. Now, there's a couple of important things here. Um, Firstly, we've had um, the vast majority of our clients actually have, have, have had PCNs where they have prepared accounts on that basis. Um, there's one or two out there still actually where the, 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 the PCNs haven't actually prepared accounts um, for the end of March 2020. Um, and you know, that, that's causing us a few problems. It's obviously going to cause uh, partners a problem because it means that they can't put their share of any income or, 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 or deficit onto their tax return. And obviously, that means that we're having to make estimates to put things on just to make sure that the partners aren't um, missing out income and therefore causing themselves problems with HMRC. So, um, you know, there is quite a good paper that um, that was issued by um, ASMA and by the Institute of Chartered Accountants Healthcare Group. Now, I participate in that group. I signed that off on behalf of um, the Institute of Chartered Accountants, um, just explaining why that is required. And, and if anyone wants to get hold of a copy of that, then let us know. Um, and, and we can let you have that just so that you can share that with the PCNs. Now, the other important point is around how we prepare accounts for the PCN. And um, 
one of the discussions we had with a number of PCNs actually was around the idea that, yes, they accepted that they had made a surplus at the end of March um, 2020, but of course they had plans to spend that money. And so there was a, a discussion around whether that was really a surplus or really a profit. Now, the issue is, of course, that from an accounting perspective, just because you plan to spend the profit that you've made last year on something else next year, that doesn't mean that it's not a profit. What it actually means is that you need to record that profit at the point of which you've made it. Um, and then when you spend the money, you get the benefit and, and you record the, the, the spending in that year. So right. there's, you know, there's, there's a couple of things. And, and there's some, again, including that paper we can share if people would like to get in touch, we can share that with you. Um, that talks about the sort of things that you can and can't include in those accounts. You know, it all comes back to what us accountants like to think about, about having a, you know, do you have a real obligation, a real legal obligation to actually spend some money at the end of the year? And only if that's the case, can you include that in your accounts if you've not spent it by the end of the year? So there's some th other things to think about there. Now, the, the other piece that's worth um, talking about with PCNs is talking about um, the accounting systems that these have. Um, and the governance. Now, we've, we've said before, these are quite significant sized organisations now. Um, and I think the majority of the ones that we're dealing with, actually, that we, that we work with here at Ballard's, we've got them set up. Um, so they've got their own accounting systems. They've got uh, maybe a, a zero accounting system whereby all the members have got access to the reports. So there's clear visibility about what's going on. Um, and they've got a decent governance structure as well. But there's, there's still a few out there that, that don't have that. And I think that's hugely important when we're talking about businesses that have got very um, substantial sums of money running through them now and are being run um, sometimes maybe maybe not as separate organisations or maybe they're using a separate department of someone else's accounting system. And it's really important to have its own accounting system, have its own set of um, management accounts where everyone's got access to it, where it's got proper governance. And that gives, it, that gives the business, because it is still a business really, it gives that the right structure for, for decision-making going forward really. So... Um, it's Mark, is it, you say about, about proper governance... Uh, and you've mentioned the sort of separate accounting, etc. Are there any other elements to, to governance that need to be considered? Well, I think the main idea about governance is just around the, um, you know, the decision making and, and, and making sure that the accounts that are being prepared are, are done so on a, uh, on a sensible basis. There are correct accounting policies done. I mean, there's, there's again, a, a, a few of them that we work with, um, where we've actually got documented procedures now about what happens with the money and, and how it works in their accounting function. Now, that's, that's quite a formalised way of doing things. But again, we're talking about some quite serious numbers that are going to go through these organisations and, and quite serious levels of income, which is then to be shared amongst quite a wide group of partners. So um, in many ways, you, you probably should start to think about this as, as trying to, in some ways, getting to a, a level of governance, which is not a million miles away from a sort of like a, a, a quasi-public company, because it's got a, a wide number of, of investors, essentially, within it. The, the, the GP partners are essentially investors within that primary care network. How, how are we dealing with the risks of the primary care networks? Because these things are are quite big businesses now. I don't think but when they first started, they were employing maybe one or two people. And a lot of the practices were just having a lead practice model, for example, where, where one of the practices would just take on an employee or a few employees to, to help run the PCN. How, how are we dealing with this now that they're getting quite 
big organisations. Well, I think you're right, Ben. I think the the lead practice model works when you've got one or two or half a dozen employees, but actually beyond that, the risk gets quite big. Um, and you know, there are a few PCNs now that we're looking, we're working with, where they're looking at uh, using limited companies to try and ring fence that risk. Um, you know, we can make that work with cost sharing groups, and you know, we've we've got experience of making that work here with the team within Ballard. Um, and I think that's probably the way I, I look at them now. As I say, I think they've got too big. And, and that, I don't think, was necessarily intended. But I think particularly with the, 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 the COVID vaccination process, I think over the, last, um, over the last few months, they have got to a size and will continue now, I think, to get bigger um, where we do need to think about structures. So that's something that's, that's probably worth talking about as well. Great. So the, the other benefit, I suppose, of, of these PCNs is that it's likely, I think, that the majority of PCNs will probably have had um, a reasonable surplus this year. It depends, obviously, how they've been funding and how they've been paying for the COVID vaccination work that's been going on. But, you know, the, the PCN in itself may have generated a, a small surplus anyway. We add into that the fact that there is likely to be a surplus from the £12.58 that the PCN gets from the COVID jabs. Um, and, you know, there could be um, a reasonable surplus now within that PCN. Now, that gives rise to a couple of things. One, obviously, the PCN needs to think about how that's going to be spent going forward, um, if it's going to be retained within there. Um, but equally, if that is a, a surplus, then that needs to filter its way through onto the tax returns of individual partners um, and via the GP practices that are um, participating within it. So, um, the, you know, there's a few that we're we're looking at at the moment where there could be a, you know, a, a nice additional bit of income that's going to come into the practice, the GP practices rather, where um, there's a little bit of extra profit coming in and, and maybe it turns into be a, a, a better year than it has been in previous years. Now, of course, one of the things we're always asked as accountants is, well, how can you save me tax? And of course, there's, there's not often that many things that uh, can be done. But there are a couple of things actually that, um, that spring to mind this year. Um, ben, are you going to take us through a couple of those? Yeah, thanks, Mark. I think a lot of the things that, that we're thinking about for, for year-end tax planning for GPs this year are the, the sort of things that actually um, most normal businesses, shall we say, SMEs will, will be thinking about, uh, perhaps hasn't been hugely thought about in the medical sector, but it but it's definitely relevant. I think one of the biggest things we would stress people think about around the year end is is the potential for a holiday pay provision. Um, so essentially, most most businesses, GPs not being an exception, will owe their staff holiday um, at their year end of March, largely because most people haven't taken their holiday allowances due to COVID. And so what that really means is you've paid your staff, um, you've paid your staff to work all of those days, uh, but you actually owe them their holiday and therefore there's a liability there that we need to bring in. Now, the the accounting standards say we actually should bring that in. That isn't something we've, we've just come up with. That is a requirement. Um, and that is tax allowable for the business. So, so we suspect most GP practices will have a liability that they should bring in and that will just ease the tax burden a little bit. Um, mm. On a similar basis, there's a few other sort of typical SME planning points that, that we could bring to the GP sector. Uh, bonus provisions. So I suspect there's going to be a lot of uh, bonuses out there for, for staff who've worked hard over this period. And we should be looking to bring those in where possible, where they relate to the 
the year that we're talking about because again that'll be tax deductible at the point that they're provided for in the accounts um, and also possibly less less relevant but still one to just mention is if you're you're leasing buildings and if your buildings are re- rely on you to maintain them and therefore there's a there's a contractual liability at some point to put those buildings back to how you found them um, then we should be thinking about bringing in a dilapidations provision which is essentially that the cost to put that building right um, as to the, the, what it needs to be on the day that you hand it back now the the only one with that is it does need to be contractual. So we need to really have um, a lease actually stating that that is required. But once that hurdle is found, then I think that is um, a good tax, a, a good tax reduction. I think I think that's good, Ben. I think the the, the, the thing with the holiday pay provision, you're right. It, it's always been there. This is not something that's new. It's just actually it's much more likely to be a significant number this year. And, and actually, the thing with accounting standards is you, you have to apply them if they have a material impact on the account. So if they're big enough, essentially, if the number's big enough. Um, and the likelihood is that if you've got a March year end and, and a holiday year that runs along the calendar year up to December, normally people will take their holiday broadly in line with that. But of course, you know, my expectation or our expectation rather would be that the majority of staff within a GP practice probably haven't had a huge amount of holiday in the last three months. They may even have carried holiday forward from the year before. Um, and particularly with Easter falling on, you know, falling very early in April. But by the time you get to the 31st of March, there's probably quite a lot of holiday owed. So I think it's it's one that would be quite a big, uh, could be quite a big number for some practices and, and certainly worth looking at. So that's no, a good point, Ben. Excellent. So there's some quite big topics to be covered there. Um, so I, I think the best thing to say is if if any listeners want to discuss or inquire about any of the, these topics that have been covered today, uh, we're always delighted to, to hear from you and don't uh, feel afraid to pick up the, the phone. Uh, the number is 01905 794504 or you can contact Mark, myself uh, or Ben directly on mark.skellum or ben.powell or stephen.jones at ballardsllp.com Other than that Mark, Ben, thank you very much for your time Uh, wishing you and all of our listeners uh, the best of health and uh, we'll see you on the next one That's great, cheers Steve Thanks Steve